Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Happy Sabbath and Happy New Year. Wow. What a way to begin the new year. Amen. I just love how in this service, the younger generations, the older generations came together to create this beautiful worship for our God. Wow. So it's New Year's, and sometimes we make New Year's resolutions. So how many of you have already made a New Year's resolution or are planning to make a New Year's resolution this year? Raise your hands. Okay, we we have some people. Okay. Anybody already break a New Year's resolution this year? No, I don't think I see any hands. You guys are doing great. It's, it's been like 12 and a half hours since the beginning of the New Year's, and you're still going strong. Or maybe some of you are like me, and you just don't make New Year's resolutions. You know, you, you aim low, so you always come out on top. Anybody in that camp? Okay. Well, whether you've made a formal resolution or not, chances are you've thought about things that you'd like to do or do differently in the new year. Because this really is the time of self-improvement. So what are some of those changes people contemplate making in a new year? Well, the Statista Research Department is an online research group of about 200 uh, employees that that examined the trends throughout the world. And they conducted a survey of 1,500 American adults to discover what the top resolutions in 2021 were. So these are the top five resolutions from 2021, okay? So the first resolution of those top five resolutions is doing more exercise or improving my fitness. 50% of adults surveyed said that they would like to do more exercise or improve fitness in 2021. Number two, losing weight. 48% of people said that they'd like to lose weight. You're starting to see a trend here, right? Maybe all those COVID pounds that we gained in 2020, we're trying to burn them off in 2021. Number three, saving more money. 44% of people said that they would like to save more money in 2021, probably because we spent so much money fixing up our homes and doing online shopping in 2020. And then number four, Improving my diet, 39%. Again, you need to improve your diet if you're going to lose some weight. And then number five, pursuing a career ambition, 21%. So those were the top five. Falling just out of the top five at number six was spending more time with my family. And it may have dropped because we spent so much time quarantined with our family in 2020. I don't know. But a lot to do with health. Relational health, financial health and especially physical health. Because this really is the time of year where we think about how to become better versions of ourselves. So generally, January has the highest church attendance, and then it starts to peter off. 
you know, health food stores. Health food stores do their best business in the first part of the year, and gyms are fuller. You know, those of you who go to the Drayson Center regularly, you may look around and wonder, where did all these new members come from? They're not new members. They're members who only show up in January. <laughs> but that's not a totally a bad thing because, because it's good to think about the things we should do and we shouldn't do. The foods we should eat and shouldn't eat, that we should spend more time with our family and less time on social media. But there is one important resolution that very few people make. It doesn't get a lot of attention. Advertisers don't spend uh, millions of dollars trying to promote it. People don't make a ton of popular YouTube or TikTok videos about it. Uh, it's kind of like getting a mammogram or a colonoscopy. We know we should do it, but it's so uncomfortable that we avoid it and try not to do it. And yet it may be one of the most important steps that we take in this next year. In fact, it's a step that we must take if we want to give the rest of our resolutions a chance. So what is it? Well, it's found in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up, turn them on, flip over to Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 1. And this is a resolution worth making. Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, although Jesus begins this statement with the phrase, do not judge, it's clear that he's not making a blanket prohibition against all types of judging. Because later on, throughout, throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus shares instances where it is appropriate to judge others. For example, just in verse 15 of this same chapter, Jesus, Jesus tells his followers to beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. Well, in order to beware of false prophets, we have to be able to discern who the false prophets are. We have to make a judgment about whether someone is a true prophet or a false prophet. And even in this passage itself, Jesus gives a metaphor to clarify what he means by do not judge. And in it, he seems to suggest that we should do exactly that, judge others. Take a look, verse 3 reads, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus is saying it's okay to judge that your, your, your brother has a speck in his eye. It's okay to recognize there's a speck in his eye and even to help him remove it. But not until you judge yourself first. See, Jesus doesn't condemn all judging, only unequal judging. Can I say that again? 
Jesus doesn't condemn all judgment, only unequal judgment. What he's against is using one set of criteria to judge ourselves and another set of criteria to judge others. And we, we do this all the time. And think about it. Have you ever been late to something before? Yeah. We usually have a, a good reason for why we're late to things, right? Oh, it's because the parking lot was full and, and it took forever to find parking. Or it's because, because the guy in front of me at the yellow light slowed down instead of speeding up like we know that everybody's supposed to do with a yellow. Or it's, it's because I was having a terrible hair day and it just takes this long to look this good. We always have a good excuse for our lateness, but if someone else is late, oh, it must be because they have a terrible character flaw, right? It's because they're lazy or because they're disrespectful of other people's time or they're just terrible planners. See, we use unequal judgment. We use one set of criteria to judge ourselves and another set of criteria to judge others. Stephen Covey describes it this way. We judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their behavior. And as a result, we are, we are more likely to excuse our own behavior than to excuse the behavior of others. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but we don't offer that to others. So Jesus says to them, he's saying that this human tendency this human tendency to use unequal judgment, that's what he's speaking about here. And that's why he calls, he calls his listeners hypocrites because they are using, they are, they are, they are forgiving a, a behavior that they see in themselves, but they are condemning others for that exact same behavior. So Jesus tells them, go ahead. Examine others, but first, examine yourself. And that's difficult because we humans are terrible at honest self-examination. It's sort of inherent to our finite natures. We can't see ourselves fully. We are our own biggest blind spot. And we get that on a purely physical level, right? So when it's important to look good on the outside, we take the time to intentionally examine ourselves. Like before we have to go anywhere in public where people will see us, what do we do? Before we go to school or we go to work or we stand in front of hundreds of people and give you a presentation, what do we do? We look in the mirror, right? We check our clothes to make sure everything is buttoned up and zipped up correctly. We, we check our teeth to make sure there's nothing stuck inside. I did all of those things before coming up today because I understand that while it's effortless for me to see all of you, and you all look beautiful, by the way, it takes effort for me to see myself. So we will regularly examine ourselves, but we will rarely examine our hearts. And Jesus says our unexamined hearts, they distort our vision of others. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly because you weren't seeing clearly before. It says, 
Take the, the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Our flaws make it impossible for us to see others clearly. Our sin distorts our vision of others. When we look at others through the lens of our sin, every speck looks like a plank. Like, have you noticed? Have you noticed that there are certain people who bother you more than others? Like, when you're around them, it just negative, strong negative emotions start welling up around you, inside of you. Why is that? Because we're all broken, sinful people. Why is it that there are certain types of brokenness and certain types of people who aggravate us more than others? Pastor John Ortberg, he uses the illustration of porcupines to describe how we all, all of us, have quills that push other people away. Well, if that's true, then there are some people who have quills that are perfectly aligned to poke me in all the wrong places. You know, as a pastor, as a Christian, I'm supposed to love all people equally, but real talk, think honest for a moment, there are some people who are more difficult for me to love than others. There are some people who just poke me in ways that make it difficult for me to be Christ-like. Do you have someone like that in your life? Some of you are trying really hard not to look at the person next to you. Like... <laughs> but we all have them. And here's the thing. They are different for each of us, right? The people that annoy me may not annoy you. The qualities that seem like planks to me may seem like specks to you. So that means that when someone pokes me in a way that's uncomfortable... It's not just about them, it's also about me. Otherwise, they would bother everybody equally, but they don't. It's almost as if their dysfunction aligns with our dysfunction to create a perfect storm. It's, it's, kind, of like, it's kind of like if they were reverse soulmates. Reverse soulmates. Right? You walk into a room... Your eyes meet for the first time across the room, and from the moment that you see them, you know they are not the one. <laughs> it is hatred at first sight. But it takes two people to make reverse soulmates, right? So if it weren't for my flaws, if it weren't for my dysfunction, if it weren't for my sin, theirs would not bother me as much. So the fact that they annoy me says just as much about me as it does about them. And that's what Jesus says in this passage. He's saying that the, the speck in your brother's eye bothers you because of the plank in your own eye. See, when we see people through the lens of our sin, their specks look like planks. They bother us. In fact, church conflict consultants, Osterhaus, Drakowski, and Hahn, they take this even a step further. Talking about this exact same passage, they say that the speck in our neighbor's eye is actually the plank in our eye. Take a look at what they write. One of Jesus' most profound statements concerns speck gazing. Picking out a speck in another's eye 
while ignoring the beam in one's own eye. Interesting how he turns the issue around. Most of our time is absorbed with looking at the offenses of another person. But it's our belief that the speck in the other's eye is the beam in my eye. When I judge the other person, I am, in fact, judging myself. So according to the authors, the traits that bother us about others bother us because they reside within us. And here's how they explain it. The fundamental fact of human nature is that we are all of us complex beings having both a part that we readily acknowledge and embrace, our aware side, and a side that is denied, our unaware side. The aware side is the part of us that we really like, that is cheerful, hopeful, kind. The other side that we are not aware of tends to get denied and pushed away. In other words, there are two sides of each, each of us, a side that we embrace and a side that we reject. See, that unaware side, we reject it because we don't want to admit that we are sometimes angry, greedy, selfish people. So we deny that part of us. And yet that's the part of us that responds, that reacts strongly when we see those same traits mirrored in someone else. The authors continue. When we react so strongly and negatively to traits in another person, it is a certain indication, a certain indication that we are actually reacting to something that is lodged in our unaware side. Those traits in that person remind us of something in ourselves or something we fear could be in ourselves. See, the specks in other people's eyes bother us because they remind us of the planks in our own eyes. So, often, not always, but often, we are guilty of the very flaws that we rush to condemn in someone else. That's heavy, right? So let that sink in for a moment. We are often guilty of the same flaws We are often guilty of the same dysfunctions. We are often guilty of the same sins that we rush to condemn in someone else. So if we we have a strong reaction to someone's temper, it it may be because we have an anger issue. If we have a strong reaction to someone's bossiness, it may be because we have a control issue. Psychologists have a term for this. They call it projection. It's a defense mechanism that we use when we're uncomfortable with dealing or admitting that traits exist within us. We project them on other people. So if there is a trait in someone else that really bothers us, it may be because there's a brokenness within us that we haven't dealt with yet. Which is why Jesus says to his followers, to first remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, what Jesus is saying is if you want to see clearly, first see yourself. Because self-examination is the first step towards wholeness and healing. We have to take a mirror to our hearts and look at the planks the flaws, the brokenness, the sin that resides there. 
And avoiding that is often what keeps us from becoming the people that we wish we could be. See, unless we get to the root of our reactions, we will continue to be ruled by them. The sin of our unexamined hearts will continue to wreak havoc in our lives. So today I want to give you three questions. Three questions that have helped me understand myself better. Three questions that have helped me to become more aware of my unaware self. And I hope they can do the same for you. These are three self-examination questions. But a word of warning before we start, these will not be comfortable because they force us to look at a part of ourselves that we'd rather ignore. And yet, unless we take the time to examine our hearts, we can't move towards health and healing. So, three self-examination questions. Question number one. I call this the question of peace. What things really set me off and caused me to overreact? So what are the circumstances where I find myself finding it difficult to, to think clearly? Like, when's the last time that you felt like your emotions jumped into the driver's seat and took over? And what caused that to happen? So that's the first question, the question of peace. The second question is the question of people. What characteristics do I find myself disliking in others, especially those of the same sex? So is there someone in my life that I really don't like? Or maybe it's some type of person that I really don't like. Like we talked about before, we often project the traits that we least like about ourselves onto other people. So what does my dislike of them say about me? So that's the second question, this question of people. And question number three is the question of panic. What do I fear the most? And here I'm talking about emotional fears. What do you fear the most? Failure? Rejection? Embarrassment? See, our sins often create fears that drive our behaviors. So what do our fears say about us, and what do they say about our sins? And as we ask ourselves these three questions, the question of peeves, the question of, of people, the question of panic, a pattern will begin to emerge that shows the sins that have the deepest hold on us. And again, these are not easy questions to answer because they force us to shine a light on a part of us that we'd rather keep hidden. They make us, they make us face the uncomfortable reality that we are not always the people that we wish we could be. See, self-examination requires that we admit that we are flawed and we are broken, that sin is growing in our hearts, that that unaware side that we try to deny is actually a part of who we are. And that's painful. Admitting that is so painful, which is why we avoid self-examination. That's why it's never going to be a top five resolution. But as difficult as it is to face our sins, it's so much worse to ignore them. Because sin is a lot like mold. It grows best in the dark. So we have to shine a light upon our sins if we want them to wither and die. That's why throughout Scripture, God 
encourages his people to confess our sins to him. Not because he needs to hear them, but because we do. So I want to end by sharing a story about a band that maybe you are familiar with. His name is Max Lucado. He's a famous pastor and author. He's, his ministry has touched the lives of millions of people. He's written best-selling books. Some children might even be familiar with his name because he's written several children's books as well. One of the, my favorite books to read to my daughters when they were younger was one of his. It was entitled, You Are Special. It's about these fictional wooden puppet characters called the Lemmings. But one thing that you may not be aware of is that Pastor Lucado has struggled with alcohol for the majority of his life. And so I want to read an excerpt from a book of his called Grace, where he describes that battle and the role that self-examination and confession has played in, in that fight. He writes, Ever since my high school buddy and I drank ourselves sick with a case of quartz, I have liked beer. Out of the keg, tap, bottle, or frosty mug, it doesn't matter to me, I like it. But I also know that alcoholism haunts my family ancestry. I have early memories of following my father through the halls of a rehab center to see his sister. Similar scenes repeated themselves with other relatives for decades. Beer doesn't mix well with my family DNA. So at the age of 21, I swore off it. Then a few years back, something resurrected my cravings. At some point, I reached for a can of brew instead of a can of soda, and as quick as you can pop the top, I was a beer fan again. A once in a while, then once a week, then once a day beer fan. I kept my preference to myself. No beer at home, lest my daughters think less of me. No beer in public, who knows who might see me. None at home, none in public leaves only one option, convenience store parking lots. For about a week, I was that guy in the car drinking out of a brown paper bag. No, I don't know what resurrected my cravings, but I remember what stunted them. En route to speak at a men's retreat, I stopped for a daily purchase. I walked out of the convenience store with the beer pressed against my side, scurried to my car for fear of being seen, opened the door, climbed in, and popped open the can. And then it dawned on me. I had become the very thing I hate, a hypocrite, a pretender, two-faced, acting one way, living another. I had written sermons about people like me, Christians who care more about appearance than integrity. It wasn't the beer, but the cover-up that nauseated me. So what happened with my hypocrisy? Well, first, I threw the can of beer in the trash. Next, I sat in the car for a long time praying. Then I scheduled a visit with our church elders. I didn't embellish or downplay my actions. I just confessed them. And they, in turn, pronounced forgiveness over me. Jim Potts, a dear silver-haired saint, reached across the table, put his hand on my shoulder, and said something like this. What you did was wrong, but what you are doing tonight is right. God's love is great enough to cover your sin. Trust grace. After talking to the elders, I spoke to the church. 
At our midweek gathering, I once again told the story. I apologized for my duplicity and requested the prayers of the congregation. What followed was a refreshing hour of confession in which other people did the same. The church was strengthened and not weakened by our honesty. The road to healing and wholeness begins with honest self-examination and confession. So right here, on the first day of 2022, I invite you to make a resolution with me. Not one to change our behaviors, but one to examine our hearts. To take a deep and honest look at the crevices of our soul and discover the sins that have long resided there. To acknowledge those sins and to confess them. Because that that is how we grow. That's how we change. That's how we become the people that we've always wanted to be. And that is a, resor- is a resolution worth making. Let's bow our heads. Good and gracious God, we want to thank you for being a God of grace. When we come to you with our brokenness, you don't reject us, you don't turn us away, you embrace us. Because you know that we are broken perhaps better than even we do ourselves. So help us to have the courage to be honest about who we are so that you can begin to heal us and move us to who you've always dreamed we would be. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.